0: Well, if you were here last week, you may have realized, or if you're paying attention, I think Roy said something about it, that we skipped the first nine verses of Philippians as I was planning and working on starting this regroup study, because today is regroup. We're regrouping our K-groups, and I hope you all will get involved, and each each one of you will be involved in a K-group. But as I looked over this passage, I said, you know, Roy, that's a long chapter to cover. Why don't you leave these first nine verses for me? And he did an excellent job. Listened to it on the way back here on Friday, and just an excellent sermon. I appreciate him filling in those two weeks that I was gone, but we've worked through Philippians over the summer, and today we'll finish it off, and uh, speaking of regrouping and regroup, I want to show you the list of where the lunch locations are today, and we'll show these at the end, so go ahead and put that slide up there with the locations, Mason, there we go, and so jot those down, leave that up for a second, so people can jot that down, and we can help you at the door as you leave, but we want everyone to attend a lunch today, Uh, we really encourage you to do so, Um, We tried to send out as many personal invites as we could possibly send. We know probably somebody got missed. We're sorry about that. But you don't have to go to the group that you received a note from. You can go to any group that you would like to go to. And this doesn't lock you into a K group. Just because you go to lunch today, you're just checking out a group seeing what they're going to be studying, maybe see the dynamic of the group and just kind of what you might want to do there. And so when we start groups in a couple of weeks, you'll have a chance then to go and visit a couple of different groups if you'd like. And so groups will start on Wednesday, August 17th. And so not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, the Wednesday night groups will start. And then on August 21st, uh, Sunday night, that's when the Sunday groups will start. So jot down, make a note. Uh, which group you're going to go for lunch today, and uh, we'll feed you and talk to you and discuss, and it'll be short. Get your kids and uh, head out. We won't linger long on on that. So we're back in Philippians 4, 1 through 9, and we're going to learn about community. We're going to learn about what God says is important in his church and what is critical for us as a church to remember. And that we throw the word community around. Uh, I have Grammarly on my uh, pages document that, you know, my word processor, and it doesn't like that word by itself. It always wants to put something in front of that word. But community means that we are uh, coming together under the call, the banner of Jesus, and instead of just coming and setting in a church, we're being the church because we're investing in other people. And we like to say that. K-Group is about intensive, intentionally intrusive relationships, meaning that we're giving permission for people to speak into our lives because most people don't have that. And we want your go-to friends, the people who you go to in your life, when you need advice, when you need to discuss things, when you have questions, when you go through hardships. We want the people in your group to be such good Christ-centered friendships that are developing there that those are your people that you're going to. And so when we do K groups, it's not just about getting together so we can hang out for a little while and study the Bible. It is about anchoring our tr- the truth of the Bible into our lives through discussion, through uh, facilitating by the leader to us and to then caring for one another in, in our lives and investing in one another. So if your idea of a K-group is this you go and you're done and then you see the people next week, you're really missing out on what K-groups is about. It's about community. It's about being together with one another and doing life together. Because life is hard. It, it is. It's hard. And life is difficult and living for Jesus is very, very tough. And while you may not be doing some of the big immoral sins that come to mind in life, just being distracted from the purposes of Jesus is failure for a Christian. If we're just living our life in a good moral direction, but we're really not seeking Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us to live out the will of God, then we're really failing at what he's called us to do. And so while many of us are good with the morals, maybe we're not so good at really living our lives for Jesus Christ. So we want to help each other in community do that. And so the Bible teaches that community isn't optional. You need the church, and the church needs you. It's, it's a body. The metaphor of the body is used throughout Scripture. A hand, an eye, a leg, and we work together to fulfill the purpose of God. And if you're not part of the community, then something is missing. And so, as we go into Philippians chapter four, let me just, as we close out this book, let me give you a little bit of background, and then Paul's gonna delve into some things that are happening there in the church of Philippi. So, Paul has been a Christian for about 30 years at this point of writing. And about 10 years after, uh, before he's writing this letter, about 10 years after he started the church at Philippi. So, 30 years as a Christian, 10 years ago, he had started the church at Philippi, but he had not been able to get back to the church in about four years. And during this time, Paul's had it pretty rough, all right, to say the least. Nobody, as rough as and tough as life is for you, I promise you, you don't have it as rough as Paul. He's been shipwrecked, beaten, homeless, left for dead, and he's currently in prison facing the possibility of execution potentially at any time. And although he's away from this church at Philippi, and he's been away for about four years, as Roy mentioned last week, he continues to receive financial support from them, Which is critical because he couldn't live if he didn't have support. And so he is, he's received some bad news in his reports from the church. He's received bad news and he's going to address that in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. And so we're going to kind of see two things in this section today. We're going to see there's this division among two leaders in this church. There's tension there that's going on. And then in the last part of this section, we're going to see anxiety that the people are feeling about a controversy, this controversy that is swirling around because of these divisions between these two leaders. So there's conflict, there's something going on in the body, and then Paul turns around and he addresses anxiety and struggles because these things are connected in his mind because the church is struggling in anxiety and is natural in conflict. And so I think this is going to be really helpful for us as we look at this because we know relationships are messy. So let's pray, and we'll look in, into the Scripture. Father God, we thank you for your word that just is our foundation for life and truth. It's, it's the lens that we must see this life through. Otherwise, we'll waste our lives, we'll squander our lives on meaningless things that at the end that we can't take with us. And we'll stand before you, if we're a believer, and we'll bow our head in shame because we know that we did not do the things that you called us to do. But we thank you for your incredible grace that you will wipe away every tear from the eyes. And God, you will it's our righteousness is based upon Jesus, and we thank you for that. But God, help us to not ever use that for an excuse, not to do your will and to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 1. He says, therefore, and Paul's there just for a second, because if you're going to say therefore, you got to look back to what we call chapter 3. Remember, there's no chapters in the original. It's a letter, and it's just written. So he says, therefore, so he, what he's referring to, he's had an analogy about running a race and persevering, and he says we need to live this life, this Christian life, in that way. And so I think being strenuous and effort and intentional about the Christian life is what Paul's getting at. If you're going to be Christ-like, it takes focus as a runner who's running to win a race. And so that's what he's referring back to. So he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so you have these two ladies who are leaders in the church in Philippi, and Paul calls them out by name because of something that's going on in this church. There's a conflict that's happening, and he's calling them out. He's bringing it to the attention. And think about this. The the letters that Paul wrote, what would happen? Get this picture, first-century picture in your mind. As he's reading this letter, all right, they've received it. The the church is assembled. They're reading it in a home. And as they're reading it and get here to chapter 4, all of a sudden, these ladies get called out in front of the assembly. Like, they probably look up. You know, they're in separate sides of the church, of course, you know, and the the house there, and they look at each other. They look at the people, and people are turning around looking at them. I mean, this is an awkward moment. Think about when you've been singled out or called out. I've used this illustration before, but probably the worst singling out i ever experienced was during the time in Chattanooga when I was an intern at the juvenile court. And I was in the courtroom for a very, like, very notorious trial that was happening there and there was a lot of media that had been around the situation and I'm sitting there in the courtroom and had forgotten to spit out my gum and I'm chewing my gum and right during the proceeding, judge Bailey looks back and says intern spit out your gum bailiff go give go get, get that gum and and it was so embarrassing it, it was terrible and I feel like that these two ladies would have been filling that moment at this when paul is dressed this letter to the, to the church at Philippi, is reading it, and they hear their names, and they're called out, and it's embarrassing for them. And think, this is forever chiseled in history that we're going to read this passage again and again and again, and these ladies are always going to be noticed as the ones who had conflict in the church. Talk about being on your permanent record, this was on their permanent record, right? And so there's this disagreement, disagreement that's taking place. Now, I think one thing that's important to note here This must not and could not really be a theological disagreement. So when I say theological, like foundational beliefs, because otherwise Paul would have definitely sided with one side or another and would have corrected the wrong and addressed the wrong. So what we have here, we have a personal conflict. These two women are leaders and they're not getting along. And unity is incredibly important in a church, but unity is especially important among leaders because people follow leaders. And when the leadership is not getting along, when they're not unified, when they aren't in sync, then people notice and people begin to just lose sight of Jesus. Think about it. Think about a time in your own life when a church went through a really tough time. All right, so what's the purpose of the church? The church should be talking about Jesus. That's what we should be talking about, right? But think back to a time when you were in a church and there was a lot of controversy and conflict going on. Jesus wasn't the topic of conversation, was he? It was did you hear that or did you see that or can you believe he did that or did she said this? And the conversations change and Satan's sitting back there having a heyday because here it is we are the church of Jesus Christ and we're supposed to be spreading the fame and glory of Jesus and instead we're spending our time talking about the conflict that's going on. And Satan loves it. And so unity is so important and Satan loves to change the conversation. And so Paul loves his church. Paul loves the people in this church. Look back at verse 1. He says, Therefore, my my brothers and sisters, uh, that's implied, whom I love and long for, he says, my joy and my crown. These are people he's invested so much in, and he's unwilling to sweep this controversy under the rug because he knows the potential damage that this could cause to the church and to the name of Christ. So look at verse 2. He commands them. He says, I command you to agree agree in the Lord, all right? You need to agree in the Lord. So he's basically saying, work this out. You're both at fault. You need to be of the same mind. You need to agree. You need to have, to be able to put aside your differences and these petty things that are going on, you need to get right with God. And he says, in the Lord. So you need to get right with God and have unity. Now, is there anything wrong with disagreeing about things? No, of course not. But we need to disagree agreeably. You don't have to agree about everything, but we do have to have unity. And so we need to be very careful, because in our day and age, it's so easy to stir up controversy about the non, what we like to say, non-bullseye issues. And if you've gone through our membership class, and we'll have another one uh, in September, I encourage you, if you haven't, to go through this. We talk about the bullseye, and these are the key things of Scripture that we will not at all compromise on. In fact, if there's disagreements over things like, the Word of God being the, our authority, and it's, it's God-breathed, or the Trinity, one God in three persons, or Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a, a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, that he's the only way to salvation, and that we're all born sinners. If it's those things, then we're going to have some trouble if you start begin to spread around the church that you don't believe one of those things, because those things are critical. But so many t- of the time, those are not the issues. The issues are things that are peripheral, and In our day and age, it's particularly easy to jump on the bandwagon because media and we can get our favorite pastor, our favorite ministry all over the world, and we say, you know, this John said this, and that John said that, and our John says this, and then this other guy says this, and we begin to splinter into factions, and we begin to think it's word because some pastor that you listen to in California or Florida, they begin to say something, and you, like, gravitate, and that's got to be truth, all right? So, the key is that we can disagree about the form of church and the way church is done, but we should never disagree on the key things. But these ladies in this church are clearly arguing, and there's disunity over the over things that are peripheral. And so, I encourage you, because we all are human, we all have the ability to have our soapbox. Those issues where we like to get worked up over, you know? Like, oh, if Pastor John would only wear a tie on Sunday, I'd be happy, right? Or, or you know, I, we argue about things like, you know, it, what's the age of the earth, all right? I think it's 7,000. I think it's 17,000. I think it's 700,000. We argue about these. Are they important? But they're not, they may be important, but they're not worth having disunity over and fighting over. We talk about Calvinism, predestination, free will. Those things are peripheral, all right. They're important to understand and learn and study and see what you believe, but at the end of the day, the church should be unified around Jesus Christ and the gospel message that we have. Well, you know, there's so many people that argue about things like, you know, should I should I Christian school, homeschool or public school? That's your decision, all right? That's your choice as a parent. And you're not going to be criticized or looked down on because you make one choice or the other. Because those are not central issues. Those are peripheral issues. And so Paul tells these ladies, you have to be able to disagree agreeably. And so we can debate and discuss, but at some point when we begin to declare war on that other faction and there begins to be a body count, there's a problem in the church, okay? And so I've been through churches like this. I've experienced this. It's not a pretty sight. And our one thing here is Jesus Christ, and that's what it's about, and we can't get hung up on all these other secondary conversations. At the end of the day, we want people to know Jesus, to meet Jesus, to love Jesus, to be like Jesus, to worship Jesus, and to come together in Jesus-centered community. Our preferences are secondary. And so Paul continues here in this discussion in verse 3. He says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul, what he does here, he basically calls in reinforcement. He says this true companion, and more than likely, this is probably an elder there in the church. So he says to this elder in the church, he says, I want you to help these women. I want you to put a stop to this problem before it destroys the church. Before it destroys the church. And so just remember this in your K groups. As we begin to meet in K groups, there's going to be people that you don't really love and care for. There's going to be a person that maybe talks more than they should talk, there's going to be some person, you know, you're asked to bring meals and you like go build from scratch a meal and you all this effort and bring it and you're so proud of that meal. And then somebody doesn't eat the meal. And then when they come, they bring pizza or, you know, Domino's or something, you know, that's what we're having today. And, and you're like, man, I went to all this trouble and they just like, that was an afterthought. There's all these things. If we're honest with each other, those are the things that we get worked up over. I don't think that person likes me. Or did you see what they wrote on Facebook. And we begin to stir the conversation about these peripheral things, and Jesus takes a back seat. Let's be sure that our K group is about the main thing, which is Jesus, and in leaders that we're working to disciple our people, to make them more like Jesus, and we're setting an example for Jesus. Did you know this? This might be a fact that you don't know. Kids, put this picture on the screen. Kids, tell me, what is this picture of? What is that right there? It's a skunk, Right. I don't see as many skunks here as I do up in West Virginia, but did you know that the skunk is one of the most feared animals? You probably might think so. Yeah, because it smells terrible, right? But even grizzly bears, mountain lions, and coyotes will stay far away from skunks, and no animal really hunts the skunk. And grizzly bears will even choose to share their meal with a skunk because they would rather not get into conflict with them. Well, I hate to be so blunt, but sometimes churches and K groups have skunks, people who stir up trouble and won't submit to authority and want to complain and fuss about everything, have strong opinions. They want to constantly push the envelope on issues. And rather than creating a big controversy with these people, Paul wants them to pursue Christlikeness. Let's deal with this. And I'm calling in this elder, this special person there at the church that Paul singles out. He says, go and work with them. Get dirty here. You're going to have to rub your sleeves because it's messy and you're going to have to deal with this and set them straight is literally what he says And Strive for Peace. Why should we do that? Because sometimes we forget that we're a family. And Paul notes that. Look at the end of verse 3. He said, whose names are in the book of life. So the image I get from this, this picture is this is God's list of people who know him, are followers of Christ. This is God's Family photo album. And he says, Y'all should get along because you're family. And just like it grieves a parent to see their children fighting, right, parents? You hate to see that happening. The same thing is true for God. He hates to see his children fighting. And so Jesus said, or God says, This is my book of life. These are the people who are part of the family of God. Remember that. Be the family. Be a family. In K-groups this year, see yourself as a family. When somebody's hurting, you hurt with them. That's what the scripture says. When somebody has a need, you meet that need. You need to be inconvenienced at times in order to meet people in their struggles, in their, their their tough times of life, and go and be the church to one another. And then verse 4, kind of seems like he shifts gears here, but follow along. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So I think Paul's transition here, while we know that Paul oftentimes can just throw out a lot of lists and a lot of things, I mean, I want to connect this because it's falling right after this section. I want to connect this because I'm sure that there is, as I said at the beginning, a lot of anxiety in this church over what's going on. And so he begins to deal with the anxiety that the church is feeling and what they're struggling with. And we live in a time when I think we all agree that, that anxiety is at an all-time high. You know, I can't speak forever, you know, the last 100 years or 200 years, but in my lifetime, the last 51, almost 52 years, I can tell you that I don't remember a time when anxiety was as high as it is today. I mean, we got... News twenty four seven. We got social media hitting us with controversies. We got so much stuff going on that just there's so much to worry and fret and get upset about. I, I read this recent survey, this recent research that came out. It said that the things that people worry about get this forty percent of the things people worry about never happen. Thirty percent of the, their concerns happened in the past. So things that you worry and fret over are in the past. You can't change them. You can't do anything about them. Yet 30% of the worry is spent with things that we have no control over. 12% are needless worries about our health. 10% are over petty issues. And 8% are over legitimate concerns. This means that 92% of our worry time is basically wasted energy. So are you an excessive worrier, honestly? Do you sit around and fret and worry and trust or, or, or question God's guidance and leadership in your life? Do you question His sovereignty? Look what God has to say about anxiety in this next in this section. And this is a great section for those who are doers who like want to just okay, give me a list to start doing things. All right, we have six commands in these verses. Let's look at these. He said he gives us some actions to instill into our lives to defeat anxiety. Look at verse. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So the first one is just simply choose to rejoice. We talked a lot about this three or four weeks ago. Choose to rejoice. If we would concentrate on rejoicing in the Lord, I promise you things would be better in our soul. I was faced with this over the last few weeks, that I could choose to rejoice to rejoice even in the pain and the struggle that my mom was going through and watching her and the results of this half of her body was paralyzed and she couldn't speak and just being in, in the hospital and choosing to rejoice and trust God and say, God, I trust that you're in control, even when in, this, in this horrible situation. So rejoicing isn't a feeling that you have inside your, inside your heart that you're just like, oh, everything's so happy and good. Rejoicing is a choice that you make to give praise to God. I I spent a lot of time talking about that. I won't repreach that sermon. But I want to remind you what Jesus said when he warned his disciples in John 16. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. So it's a fact. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. The wickedness, sorrow, misery, and death of this world doesn't have to steal our joy. It doesn't. You can have joy no matter what you're going through because he says to rejoice. And people and things and events and your bank account, those things ultimately will never, ever bring you joy. They're actually probably going to do the opposite. They're going to bring you misery. But if you focus upon Jesus and the promises of God, you can rejoice even when it doesn't feel like you're rejoicing internally. You choose to praise God even in the struggle you know, in, in the early church time, in this time that Paul was writing in the original language, this term rejoice would have even had a, like a public celebration feel to it that you're to be in community rejoicing. That's a good encouragement because in K groups, people need supported. You need to support one another. You need to rejoice and, and help others to seek Jesus as the source of their joy. And that can be done very practically by coming around each other and helping to celebrate God's goodness and his truth in spite of what we're going through. And so in this context, again, there's arguing, there's fighting going on, and he's saying, choose to rejoice. Focus on Jesus. You have enough enemies. Why spend your energy fighting against your family, your friends in Christ? So Paul continues his action list. Look at the next one, verse 5. Let your reasonableness, or another word would be gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at at hand. So number two, in the middle of conflict— be gentle. In the middle of conflict, be gentle. Scripture tells us a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so as this, this, this controversy is swirling in this church, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. Let your, let your gentleness be known in this community. I read a devotion, I think that the Whaley's actually, I think gave it to us. It's uh, Tim Keller's Proverbs, Daily Proverbs. So good. But yesterday, was this very thing about a gentle answer and gentleness during conflict. It was so good. But I I think the idea here is just gracious humility when we disagree about things. And it's not easy. It doesn't come easy, and it, it comes only from Jesus and the power that he gives as we seek him and lean into him. And so Paul says, I want you in the middle of this conflict to be gentle with one another. And if you need some motivation for that, he adds, the Lord is at hand. So he says, the Lord's there. He's coming again, and he sees. And so you ladies in this church, you guys need to work through this disagreement and this conflict. And then the next thing he says, number three, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And I think this idea of anxiety, we have to admit to God and to ourselves to ourselves that anxiety is a sin. And I know that's controversial for some of you because you're like, I can't help how I feel. But Jesus said not to be anxious. He told us, he commanded us, don't be anxious about anything. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. He repeats Jesus' command. And so I think as we instill some of these principles that Paul's giving to us, we can begin to defeat that anxiety and not allow it to just settle in us and take over our lives and destroy our joy and our witness for Jesus Christ. So admit to God and to yourself that anxiety is a sin. We can't control every thought that enters our minds, but we sure can fight against those things, and not allow them to stay there. And so the moment you become aware that you're feeling anxious, in that moment, Jesus says, just to cast your care upon him and go to him and keep going to him in prayer. Because anxiety, this word anxiety, it literally means to be pulled in different directions. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? You feel that? That you feel just pulled and you feel like, ah, I just feel like I'm being stretched, and I'm going to break at some point. Life is just pulling me apart. And he says in those moments, realize that it's not okay to keep your mind there. More on that in a minute. Just don't trust every thought that enters your mind, and remind yourself constantly that every trial in your life is under the control of God. And I want to encourage you also, K-group, K-group leaders, K-groups, As you're there for each other, I want you to remember a verse in 2 Corinthians 1. It's actually two verses, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, I experienced such just outpouring of support during these last couple weeks. But you should do that for everybody, not just because I'm the pastor. You should reach out to people, everyone who's hurting that way, especially in your group. And the one reason we do small groups is so that it's manageable. All right. You can't send messages to 200 people you can't constantly call people, 200 people on the phone, but you can work in the lives of 12 to 14 that you're part of your K group with and be there for them. I will tell you firsthand, when you're in the hospital room and you're sitting there and you're seeing your mother pass away and you get a text that says, praying for you, buddy, that means so much. So many texts, what can I do for you? Is there anything? Can I mow your yard? What can we do for you? It shouldn't just be me that gets those things. It should be you as well. And the K group has to be that for one another, to reach out to one another. So be alert and attentive. Don't be shy. Don't think, well, you know, I'm not a leader in the church, and it's going to be weird for me to reach out. Reach out. Extend the comfort that God has extended to you. Do not be anxious, for 6. Do not be anxious about anything. So acknowledge it's a sin, but then he says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. God. God wants, I think I worded that wrong, the way you counter worry is through prayer, plain and simple. The way that you counter worry is through prayer. And you keep praying, you keep going back. And Paul makes it clear that worry and prayer, they don't coexist at the same time. And so you cast your cares upon him. And then he says, "In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your heart in those moments when life just gets turned upside down. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be times where you just feel like you can't take another step. But you trust the word of God that he says the peace that surpasses all understanding. just doesn't make sense. It was pretty cool in the hospital as we're in there, my dad and I, and my brother, and just the, the way the doctors and the nurses interacted with us, it was clear that they knew that we had a greater hope, that we were praying with my mom, reading scripture with my mom. We were just playing worship music. And that was a testimony even in the in this dark days of our lives. And hopefully my brother's not w- watching this because if he is, he'll probably beat me up when he sees me. But um, he, he got angry. His response, because he's away from the Lord, his response was anger over a lot of things. Yet my dad and I, while we were hurting, anger wasn't the response. It was peace knowing that mom was going to a better place. And this suffering is temporary, but heaven is eternal. And he will give us what we need to sustain us. And he'll do the same for you. The peace which surpasses understanding, it just transcends human understanding. But let me just remind you, this, these things about fighting anxiety and praying, this isn't just like let go and let God. I'm just going to give this to you, God, and then I'm just going to lay back here and you're just going to bring your peace over me and I'm just going to feel it and experience it. It's a very active way of living our lives. Look at verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So he tells us, if we're going to defeat this anxiety and, and, and this conflict that comes internally in our life and we feel pulled We've got to be proactive. We've got to focus on what the good things, the excellent things of life, and not fill our minds with garbage all the time. Because if we put old saying for early days of computers, you put the garbage in, you're going to get the garbage out. plain and simple. But if you're filling your mind daily with God's word, if you have a habit, a routine of being in God's Word on a daily basis and you're trusting His promises, you're reading His promises, you're praying His promises. Then when life throws you a curveball, it's a lot more natural to go to the promises of God and, and grab hold of those and trust them than if your quiet times and your time with God is very sporadic and occasionally you might read and, and you get your, you're get in church but you're not super faithful. And then things come your way and what are you going to default to? What are you filling your mind with? You're filling your mind with a lot of other stuff, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime. I mean, you're filling your mind with all these other things constantly, all the time, and news 24-7. What do you think is going to come out of your life if you put those things in? And so what goes in will come out. So if you want stability in your mind, you have to put the things of God in your mind. And Proverbs says it this way. It says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So guard your heart. Be careful the things that you're putting in there. And then number six, Paul says, seek out relationships with mature Christians. And he doesn't specifically say this, but this is the point I want to make, because look what he says about himself. He says, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. So he says, The things I've taught and the way that I live my life is an example for you to follow. And I think it's one of the things that's most missed in most churches today is understanding how important it is to have mentors spiritual mentors, spiritual guides into your life. And and for so many years, I lacked that because truthfully, a lot of the older guys were unwilling to step in and be that because maybe they're insecure or don't have the confidence. Maybe some of it was unwillingness on my part to submit, but there's so much good that comes out of having somebody in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be older than you, but it needs to be someone who's a little bit more mature in the faith than you, that's one step ahead of you, who can come and help you and talk to you and, and, and tell you their experiences and what they've gone through in their life. And that's one thing I love about K-groups, and I love that so many of our K-groups here at Grace Church aren't just age-segregated, so like that's a 20s group, that's a 30s, whatever, but that we have multi-generational groups because I know in our group that there's so much learning that happens when somebody's going through something and somebody else speaks up and says, I went to a, a very similar thing you know, I had cancer, or, you know, my kids rebelled, or this happened to me, and they speak into your life, and there's just something special to see God's grace at work and how that God had sustained them and and carried them through it, and then, in turn, you learn from them. So I encourage you to do that. And then he says, finally, he says, says, just practice these things. Verse 9, just practice these. Take these things and put them into practice. And if you do these things, he says, the peace of God, not maybe or might, but he says, the peace of God will be with you. So do you want peace? You put to practice these things. So in closing, head, heart, hands. Head, community isn't optional, but expect it to be messy, okay? Expect it. It's really sad that so many people, because of a conflict in a church or a difficulty or something that happens, people run. They're like, oh, I'm out of here, right? The first controversy that comes along. First thing bad that happens to your K group. Somebody gets you a little cross-laced with you or says something you don't like, and you're like, well, I don't like them, so let's don't go to group. And you come up with some excuse not to be there. People leave churches all the time for such trivial reasons. And sadly, I was talking to my son the other day, and he said that his two bosses, his immediate boss and his next boss, both say they're Christians, but they don't attend church anywhere anymore because they got hurt in the church, okay? The church hurt them. Hello, all right? You're going to be hurt if you get into any kind of relationships, and people in the church will hurt you at times. They're not going to live up to your expectations. They're not always going to get their cue. Some people are just very self-centered. Like, they just won't think about you. All they think about is themselves. You need to expect that and know that if they're a believer, God is growing them and making them more like Jesus, just like he is you. And chances are you have lots of blind spots yourself that you're not even aware of. And so give people grace and understand that it's going to be messy, but it's not optional. And then the heart. Just guard your heart. If you're going to live in a way that God calls us to live, if we're going to be the community, if we're going to regroup and just spread the name and glory and renown of Jesus Christ, then we need to guard our hearts because what's in there will come out, Jesus says. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Who you are here will work its way out. Guard your heart. And then your hands, very simply, just apply the six action items that Paul gave us. Choose to rejoice, be gentle in conflict. Admit to God and to yourself that anxiety is a sin. Counter worry with prayer. Fill your mind with excellence, because what goes in will come out. And then seek seek deep relationships with mature Christians, maybe even your K-group leader or the, the couple that's leading your group. That might be a good couple to gravitate to as mature Christians who you can even spend extra time with beyond your group. But God wants us to represent him well. And groups are one of the ways that we do that here at Grace because we care and love and serve one another. I hope you'll be a part of that. We'll tell you more about the lunch in a minute uh, after this last song, but let me pray and then the band will lead us in one more song. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us truth, God. We need your truth. We can't find truth on our own. Many of us have searched for it. We've read, we've watched, we've studied, and at the end of the day, it's all vanity as Ecclesiastes. He says, it's Solomon says, it's just vanity, vanity, and it's, it's worthless. It's like just blowing in the wind dust that just goes away. And God, only Jesus Christ gives any kind of meaning to this life and any kind of purpose to this life. And, it, and he definitely gives us the only hope we have for the next. And God, I pray that you'll help us to learn today to trust you, to lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ, and stand firm in your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.